Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 cp bayonet point wtbn pinellas park portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time up next is verse by verse sponsored by verse by verse ministries that is to say that we are peacemakers in the sense that we carry the gospel message to those who are presently God's enemies and we tell them as we share the gospel of Christ with them how they can be reconciled to God and be changed from being an enemy to becoming a friend. And more than a friend, becoming a child of God. When the prophet Isaiah was ministering in Judah, the land was filled with wars and conflicts. He had to prophesy about a great deal of destruction to his own people. I think he came to appreciate even more how refreshing it is to hear good news in the midst of so much bad. And it is even better to be the person who brings this good news to others. Isaiah wrote, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness. Today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve points out that believers in Christ are to be called peacemakers proclaiming the good news of peace with God in a world filled with violence and hopelessness. Let's join him now as he continues his message on Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Now, I just wanted you to see how often Jesus mentions that the world of unbelievers, meaning every unsaved person, hates God, hates Christ, hates the Father, and the world does hate Christ. It's at war with him. Understand that. It's, it's not just that the media is antagonistic towards Christianity. Every unsaved person is. Maybe they don't have the public spotlight that the media does, but, but the proof of this ongoing war is that people constantly defy his authority, his word, by, by a self-determination to do whatever they want to do. That's the proof of it. It doesn't matter that they talk about where you can have a display of the Ten Commandments. The issue is, does anybody care about observing the Ten Commandments? But sin doesn't only prevent man from being at peace with God. That's, that's primary. The Bible also teaches that sin, watch this, is the source of war with other people. We're not only at war with God, we're at war with other people. And James speaks about this. In James chapter 4, James gives a very blunt statement. In fact, the entire letter that James wrote is blunt. He just must have been one of those guys who said it like it is. And he says in chapter 4, verse 1, what's the source of, of quarrels and conflicts amongst you? He just gets right to the point. He says, is not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Now, I want you to notice the word pleasures. It may be translated in your your Bible as uh, desires or even lusts. It's a very interesting word. It's a translation of the Greek word hedonon. And hedonon is from which we get our English term hedonism. 
A hedonist is someone who believes that self-satisfaction, self-gratification, pleasure-seeking is the all-important thing in in life. They, They live to gratify themselves. That's a hedonist. Well, that comes from this word. And what James is telling us is that the cause of all human conflicts whether it's between nations or, or fellow workers or church people or families or in marriages, regardless of where it is, the cause of it is because we are greedy, lustful, self-centered creatures who insist on getting our own way. And we are so driven to get our own way that if anybody gets in our way, we will fight them. And if necessary, we will resort to murdering them. That's what James is teaching. In other words, it's this deep-rooted determination to gratify our self-centered desires that just brings us into perpetual conflicts with not only God, but with other people. That's what James is saying. That's the bottom line. Now, note this well. Every conflict, every battle, every hostility that you have ever experienced or will ever experience is related to sin, to sin. Man's sinful nature. And unless that sin can be subdued and brought into submission to Jesus so that sin no longer reigns supreme in your heart, there will never be true and lasting peace. There might be a truce, but war will break out again. And that's why the the Bible says that we are all predisposed to doing those things associated with hostility. Remember last week, we spoke about the the, uh, diagnosis that, that Jesus gave of the human heart. Out of the human heart, he said, come such things as thefts and and murders, slanders, deceitful things. All those things cause trouble. And the Apostle Paul, when he describes the, the deeds that stem from the flesh in Galatians 5, he says, amongst other sins, there are attitudes and activities in our flesh, in our human fallenness, that breed arguments and conflicts. He spoke of enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. See, the Bible characterizes all unsaved, no matter what culture they've come from, as completely void of any peace because they are by nature prone to be at odds with one another. That's our nature, sinful nature. Isaiah 57, verses 20 and 21 say this, the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up refuse and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. The wicked, he says, have no peace. It's as natural for them to have turmoil that comes from within as it is for the sea to toss up refuse and and mud, mud from within. Unsaved man has no peace. Maybe a truce here and there, but no peace. So this is man's condition. He's a fighting hedonist at odds with God, at odds with his fellow human being, He goes from one battle to another. He doesn't know how to attain peace because he doesn't know how to resolve conflicts. He might smooth over some things. He may not be verbally having a conflict. He may not be violent. There may just be a cold war, but he's got unresolved issues. And that's where we come in. Jesus said that the citizens of his kingdom are peacemakers in a world that does not know peace. So the question is, how do, we, how do we bring about peace? In what way are we peacemakers? Well, that leads us to a second question that opens up this wonderful beatitude. First question is, what is peace? Remember, it's not a cessation of hostilities. It is resolving a conflict so that an enemy is changed into a friend. Second question, 
What is a peacemaker? Jesus called us peacemakers. In a world of peacebreakers, Jesus singled out his disciples as peacemakers. So what do you mean by this? Well, this, is, this particular Greek word that's translated peacemaker is actually a combination of two words, and often this happens in the Greek language. It just put a couple of words together and formed a new word. It's made up of two words. One is the noun peace. The other is the verb to make. So when you put these words together, these two words together, this noun and this verb, you come up with a term that means actually just what it says, just what it sounds like. A peacemaker is someone who is actively involved in bringing about peace. He makes peace. That's what it means. But let me clarify, this has nothing to do with a peaceful demeanor. It has nothing to do with a uh, tranquil heart. It has nothing to do with personal peace within your very being. That's something else. That's, that's, the, peace, uh, that's the peace of God. That's what happens when you stop worrying and trusting him. We're not talking about this. This is really a very dynamic word that indicates that, that being a peacemaker, folks, takes some effort, some strain. That's where the verb comes in. You make peace. It doesn't just happen. You, you exert some energy. You see, a peacemaker is not a passive person who just lets it happen. He's not someone who just observes, observes this. He exerts some labor in, in making peace. In other words, he's actively involved in this entire process. In fact, ancient Greek writers used this very word to speak of political ambassadors whose job was to negotiating, to negotiate peace with alienated parties. So, so you can just see from that very term itself, there's a vibrancy to this role that, that involves actions, some sweat, some energy. A peacemaker is somebody who makes peace. How do we do this? What kind of energy is he talking about? What kind of activity are we involved in that brings about peace? When Jesus said that citizens of his kingdom are peacemakers, he was talking about the fact that we are the only ones in the entire world, this entire planet, who can accurately tell others how to be, first of all, at peace with God and then at peace with other people. Nobody else can do that. Now, others may speak about it, but nobody else has the accurate message because being a peacemaker means that we are messengers of the gospel of peace. That's really what he's saying. And it's taken me a while to get to that point, but I'm building a case here. That is to say that we are peacemakers in the sense that we carry the gospel message to those who are presently God's enemies and we tell them as we share the gospel of Christ with them how they can be reconciled to God and be changed from being an enemy to becoming a friend, and more than a friend, becoming a child of God. This is what Paul was referring to as the ministry of reconciliation. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians again. I want to show you this and expand on this. In this passage, Paul speaks about we being an ambassador for Christ, just as this word was used of ambassadors. We are his ambassadors. We, we try to bring about peace those who are alienated from God, we give them the message of the gospel. Verse 18, now all these things, 2 Corinthians 5, 18, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now he gives the theological basis for this, the fact of history. What, bring, what, is, the, what is the reason? 
for this reconciliation. He made him, speaking of Christ, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Having been reconciled to God through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, now we have been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. We who have experienced it now are commissioned to go out and and tell others how they can be reconciled to God. You see, the, the, the basis for this is that in his death, Jesus Christ made peace between God and all those for whom Christ died. And he did this by removing the very cause of our separation, which was sin. That's the issue. Our war, folks, with God ended at the cross. That's why Paul could write the Romans in chapter 5, verse 1, saying, being justified by, by faith, we have what? Peace with God. We have peace with God. As I said before, it doesn't mean that we always experience personal peace and, and, and spiritual composure. We should, but that's the peace of God. That's what Paul refers to in Philippians 4 when he says the peace of God which passes all human comprehension. That We experience that when we, when we trust him rather than be worried about things. But that's not what he's referring to here. Every believer has made peace with God through the death of Christ. So we're no longer his enemies. We're on his side. More importantly, he's on our side. We're not fighting him. And that's why Paul could tell the Colossians in chapter 1, he said, although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. The reconciliation took place because of his death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. We who were once his enemies have now become his friends. That's an amazing truth. And more than friends, as I said, we're his beloved children. And now that we're at peace with God, we have been turned into peacemakers as we've been commissioned to tell others how to be reconciled to him. And I, and I might add, this ministry of reconciliation is not, is not limited to full-time evangelists or people with aggressive personalities. In whatever context you live in, you and I are to tell people the gospel. We are all involved in this. This doesn't mean that we have to be obnoxious. It doesn't mean that we push down doors and we've got to tell somebody or else uh, we're, we're not doing the right thing. Or if somebody tells us, look, stop talking to me about this. No, you sit there and listen. That doesn't, it doesn't mean that at all. But in whatever way God opens doors, you and I are to share the ministry of reconciliation. Now, I want to stop here for a few moments and consider what it means to uh, be a peacemaker to the unsaved. What, what this entails. First of all, as we evangelize the lost, we have to recognize there is a paradox to, to this ministry of reconciliation, to being a peacemaker. It's a paradox in the sense that, that we who share the message of peace with others find that in, as they resist, and they so often do resist the gospel, there's going to be antagonism and strife. That's the irony of this. We're sharing about peace and they often react in a warlike manner. Now, how can that be? Before anyone can be at peace with God, they first have to recognize that they're sinners. And they first have to repent. And you know what? People don't want to do that. Jesus said men love darkness. They love their own sin. And they, and they resist the light. They hate the light. People love their sin. They're not interested in giving it up. Unless God does a work of grace in their hearts, they continue in, in their sin, and you and I come along and say, but you're a sinner. 
and you must repent. And they don't want to hear that. And so the paradox is that we who are peacemakers often find ourselves creating conflicts by the very message of peace. That's the irony. As someone put it, the peacemaker is a fighter. He makes trouble to make peace. That's the paradox. We do. But that is precisely the point that Jesus was bringing out in Matthew chapter 10. Let's turn there because some people look at this, what Jesus said, and say, "Ah, see, here's a contradiction in the Bible. The Bible speaks about peace, and yet Jesus spoke about not having peace. Notice Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Jesus said, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Don't uh, think that I brought peace, but a sword. He said, for I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Now, Now, is this a contradiction? Absolutely not. There are no contradictions in the Bible. No contradictions. If you think something is a contradiction in the Bible, it's because you misinterpreted the Bible. God is the author of all scripture and he never contradicts himself. This is not a contradiction of the seventh beatitude. Jesus never taught peace at any price. He never said that. He taught peace only on God's terms. And those terms are truth and righteousness. No one can be at peace with God until they accept God's truth and the righteous way of the gospel. And so what Jesus was talking about is the message of the gospel does divide people. It's a message of peace, but it often divides people. It divides fathers from sons if one is a believer and one is not. Mothers from their daughters if one is a believer and one is not. In-laws from each other. This is no contradiction. The message of peace often results in causing war. But that doesn't mean we back off. That doesn't mean we don't give it. Otherwise, you know what that is? That's called appeasement. This is not peace at any cost. I'll never, I'll never share the gospel with somebody because they might be annoyed. You do that, then you've missed the point. You've missed the point. Jesus never taught compromise the truth so that there wouldn't, you wouldn't stir up strife. We do stir up strife. We are troublemakers. That's what they said of the apostles. That's what they said of Paul. This man's a troublemaker. Everywhere he goes, he stirs up trouble. Now, there's a very significant implication that flows out of this great principle that peacemakers are called to share the message that often results in in a war. That implication is that a peacemaker is someone who is characterized by honesty. We tell the people the truth about themselves, regardless of the consequences. We tell them that they're sinners. We tell them they're rebels. We tell them they are hostile towards God. In other words, we need to tell them the truth about their status before God, that all is not well with them. They're at war with God. We never say peace, peace when there is no peace. There's a war going on because of their rebellion. And if that war doesn't get resolved through repentance and faith in Christ, that war is going to last for all of eternity in hell. Back in the Old Testament, the prophets Ezekiel and Jeremiah gave stinging condemnations to the false prophets of their day who said to the people of Israel, peace, peace. Everything is fine. There are no nations who are going to come upon you. You just go your way and and be comforted by that truth. Jeremiah said, Jeremiah 6.14, they have healed the brokenness of my people, but he added superficially, meaning it's not real saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. See, these false prophets tried to comfort the people. 
They try to comfort the people by telling them that they were at peace with other nations when they really weren't. That's only, as according to Jeremiah, a superficial comfort to make them temporarily feel better. And you and I do the same thing if we don't tell people the truth. If we say everything's fine with you. Oh, yeah. No, that's fine. Oh, you're, you go to church. You're, you're Jewish. You're, you're fine. You're, listen, they're not. People are sinners. And they need to know the truth about their condition before a holy God. A peacemaker doesn't say peace, peace when there is no peace. He tells people the truth, even if the truth about themselves hurts them, even if the truth isn't received, even if the people get annoyed. You never want to be the per- kind of person, as I've heard people say, but if I say that to someone, it'll, it'll only cause more trouble. They'll be upset. You know, my response is, oh, well. So they get upset. That'd be like telling somebody or not telling somebody, even though you know they have cancer, and, and they could be cured of it. I'm not going to tell them because they'll be upset if they hear that. Well, if you love them, tell them the truth. And if you're faithful to the Lord, tell them the truth. The point is, is that peacemakers are painfully honest. Painfully honest. You never want to back off from that. Otherwise, you are a compromiser, not a peacemaker. So the first thing that peacemakers do in evangelizing the lost is proclaim the gospel, even at the risk of stirring up conflict over the truth. There's a second thing that peacemakers do in making peace, and it's one that's often overlooked. We are to pray for the lost to be saved. We're to pray for them. In addition to promoting peace by sharing the gospel, we've often neglected the glorious truth that that God responds to saving people by means of our prayers. Yes, God is sovereign. He'll save whomever he wants, but we're part of the process. He's sovereignly chosen to to use us as we share the gospel, but as we pray for people to be saved. Just as the psalmist commanded the Jewish people in the Old Testament, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, so God commands us today to pray for the unsaved to experience peace with him. I remember years ago, a, a woman in this church came to me and question whether we should ever pray for the lost. And just based on how she, how she uh, spoke to me, I gathered that she didn't believe we should pray for the lost. And she almost challenged me, well, t- well can you find any scripture that, that says anywhere we're to pray for the lost? Absolutely, you can. Paul prayed in Romans 10.1, speaking of Israel, he said this, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. The Apostle Paul prayed for Jewish people to be saved and for others as well. And I would add, he also commanded us to pray for the lost. We are definitely told to pray for them. Let me show you this. First Timothy chapter two. First Timothy chapter two. Now you have to understand the background of Timothy in the sense that these people had some kind of attitude of elitism. There were false teachers here who, who really concentrated on on just being elitists, and they weren't interested in a world of lost people. Paul is bringing them back to that, and he says in chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, first of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. Now, by all, Paul doesn't mean every single person in the world. He just means all classes of people, people from every nation, all kinds of people, Greeks and Romans and and Jewish people and Gentile. And then he he also says, verse 2, when he says all, he means for kings and for all who are in authority, 
so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. We're not to be those who, who defy the government and stir up strife. We're to be those who pray for our national leaders and, and civil leaders to be saved. That's the context here. Because notice, he says in verse 3, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God may not have decreed that all men be saved, but it is his heart's desire. God does not delight in the death of the wicked. So we are to pray for the salvation of all kinds of people. We are to do that. That's what a peacemaker does. If you desire to see people come to know Christ, and every believer has that desire, or it would be indicative that they've never been saved, then we must pray for them to be saved. In your, in your daily time of prayer with the Lord, it ought, ought to include that you're praying for some people to be saved. You're praying uh, around the globe of missions and missionaries for some people to be saved. One Bible teacher put it this way, prayer is a powerful weapon in the hands of God's peacemakers. We will pause right here in the message because we are out of time for today. But we will conclude this message from Pastor Steve in our next broadcast. We want to thank you for tuning in to Verse by Verse today. Our teacher, Steve Kreloff, is the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you would like to know more about this ministry or how you can help support these broadcasts, please call us at 727 727- Two three nine zero three zero six. You can also email us at contact at versebyverseradio.org. Next time, Pastor Steve will help us understand.